Hello and welcome to Flicking and Screaming. I am Jed Sprague here with my one co-host today, Evan Fagundis. Hey, Jed. And this week we are talking about David Fincher's The Game. But before we get into that, Evan, how you doing, my friend? You know, I'm doing a lot better right now than our friendship is. And uh, maybe we'll let him pick up on that thread next week when he's back, um, you know, go through his saga today. But I'm doing really well. I'm heading out this weekend, um, getting away for a little bit, which is kind of nice to do, you know, especially coming out of summer here when it doesn't necessarily feel like the time that that, you know, we can get traveling and stuff like that in. Um, But got to see a new Scorsese movie in theaters uh, this last week. So I'm feeling great about that. Um, And and just good stuff going on overall. How are you doing? You know, man, I'm doing all right. Um, The winter chill has hit. Yeah. Reno, Nevada. Uh, it's the first big jacket pod of the year. Uh, for those that that do not know, um, I pod from my garage studio, uh, mm-hmm. and it is not temperature controlled. So I am, you know, a victim of the elements out here. Uh, and in the winter, I'm often wearing large coats and sometimes gloves. Uh, uh, so first big, big jacket pod of the uh, of the year, and we're rolling with the punches. I think this is kind of a good one. I feel like talking about David Fincher universes and feeling like a little cold is appropriate. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I think it's interesting. Yeah. This is a, this is an interesting vibe like that we've kind of thrown in here randomly. Why'd you want to talk about the game? Cause I think it was you that suggested it, right? Yeah. I'm trying to remember. I think I did. I mean, we've, we've thrown around talking about San Francisco movies. I think it came up recently when I, saw um, vertigo again and you know i was just talking about how san francisco doesn't get credit as being a very cinematic city um even though i I think it is and like all the movies that are set in san francisco i feel like it really adds an extra element like we've talked about basic instinct before and i feel like san francisco is a huge part of that movie obviously Mm -hmm. another michael douglas 90s movie um and then from there you know fincher's just on the mind with the killer coming up and it just sort of circled around and like fincher is one of those directors and the game is one of those movies where it's like and you tell me because i'm the one who threw it out but as soon as somebody says like hey let's do the game or like let's talk about gone girl or something it's very easy to just be like yes i want a re- reason to rewatch that yeah i think that's right and i think that there's something about his movies and this could be me but it's like I need a reason to revisit them. Like I need a reason to subject myself to that level of uncomfortability and and often that level of pain. Like there are some that live mm-hmm. outside of that that like atmosphere. But for sure, like the game is squarely one of those where it's like when you're like, "Yo, should we do the game?" I was like, "Yeah, let's do it." And mm-hmm. it's not something though that I would ever like fire up by myself on like a Tuesday night. But now that we have an excuse to talk about it, like I'm happy that I got to rewatch it. It had been years for me i don't know how long it had been since you had watched it but it'd probably been like seven or eight years i think do do you think you watched it a few years ago when we did our fincher top five i think that's one of the ones i didn't get to didn't get to okay because that's the last time i'd seen it so that was like what three years ago basically yeah no i think i think it's one of the ones that i didn't get to for my top five because i think i think and it's pretty much like i think it's off for like one of the most like forgotten finchers uh yeah like it's like that and panic room are the two that i feel like people if they're naming off ventures off the top of their head would forget like people even remember benjamin button i think just because it's you know has that weird factor but it does kind of get lost in the shuffle 
yeah, I think there's something about it feeling it is it does feel like a Fincher movie, but it also feels like so squarely in line with like those nineties, you know, thriller, thriller movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um and I and I think like, you know, obviously basic instinct, the great uh <laughs> the mm-hmm. great like comparison to this because it's Michael Douglas both and set in San Francisco opposite mm-hmm. of uh you know a female lead that is blonde and mysterious beautiful blonde um, woman yeah. yeah yeah so uh I think like there's obviously a comp to be made but uh, it's just I think it's unfairly forgotten uh because this movie fucking rules man I, awesome. I don't I and you know we are we're privileged right we don't have like homework assignments nobody like makes us watch movies so we often get to talk about movies that are great because we're just like, yeah, you want to watch a good mm-hmm. movie and go yeah. back. But I, I think it can sometimes get lost, but this movie like is really good. And I think yeah. we don't, I they just don't make them like this anymore. Like that was what I was like thinking. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a very shallow comment, but I just kept thinking, hey, they just don't make them like this anymore. Like the score, true. the, yeah. the way it's shot. Um, I completely forgotten by the way that succession ripped off, uh, their title sequence from the yes. beginning of this movie. So that Completely. was, that was an absolute joy. But where do you want to start? You want to start with Fincher? You want to start with acting? You want to start? Actually, um, let's start with San Francisco because you already kicked off this conversation and I agree with you. I think there's something about when San Francisco is the setting. And again, it's very, a lot of cliches on this pod mm-hmm. so far. I'm I'm wading into dangerous waters, but San Francisco really is always a character in the movies that it's set in. It feels like it's never the backdrop of a movie because it's convenient. It's mm-hmm. always the backdrop of a movie because it matters to the story. And mm-hmm. so I think that is like what is really cool about like San Francisco when it's when it's featured in one of these movies. Like, you know, New York, there's a bunch of movies that are in New York that aren't about New York. You know, there are yeah. a bunch of movies that are in L.A. that aren't about L.A., and you know, vice versa. Name any random city that they, you know, can go shoot in for low budget. But every time something's in San Francisco, it feels like it has to be. So mm-hmm. that's kind of a cool thing. Yeah, and and I can't exactly explain it, but um, there's a little bit of like a labyrinth feel to San Francisco in, in these movies. And again, I'm gonna invoke um, Vertigo, where it's a very similar thing. There's a lot of time spent in cars, and and a big part of that, I think, is like the uh the hills and stuff it you know it just looks really cool somebody driving up and down the hills of san francisco but in this movie one i don't exactly know where his house is supposed to be because it's obviously this massive property you know with a huge long driveway and stuff and that's something you don't necessarily see in san francisco proper all the time or basically ever um but his office clearly is like right in downtown financial district and there's like a real anonymity that san francisco can create and i think this movie really takes advantage of um I, when it shows him getting to work it the, he makes a lot of turns to get there and you can almost sort of tell that like even though he's this you know insanely rich guy that you can see why he's like unnoticed basically outside of like his housekeeper his assistant and like his brother every four years you know like basically no one knows this guy exists outside of those people and and the way that they move throughout the city i feel like actually kind of makes you understand why and then later on really opens up to being like a great you know place for for a maze basically or like a a a, a, i don't know chessboard or something i I don't know exactly what it is but it, it just fits a puzzle yeah, um, that is true. And I think there's something about the shots, like especially of the hills, you said, that are both mm-hmm. very specific, but also very like, wait, 
which part like which hill is that exactly. wait what street are, what street are we on like it, yeah. it it the the city flows in a much like less distinct way in, yeah in a way than like a lot of other you know than like a lot of other cities where it's like you know you watch an LA movie and it's like oh, you're downtown or you're in Malibu or you know, you're out in the canyons. It's like mm-hmm. there's a lot of like very like this is a part of L.A. This is a part of L.A. This is a part of L.A. And San Francisco can kind of all blend. And maybe that's yeah. just like not as many people are familiar. I think uh, we're two people that have lived. You currently live in San Francisco. I lived in San Francisco for a number of years. Mm-hmm. And so when there is a movie set in San Francisco, there's this kind of like there is this like frantic energy of like, oh, where's his house? Yeah. Which I think it might be in like Presidio Heights, by the way. It um, has to. I think it's supposed to be, but yeah, it almost yeah. kind of looks. I, I think it has to be. That's you know the house. You know the much. houses. There's like a little like right before you enter like Presidio Golf Club, like you know on the yeah. edge of the Presidio Park. There's that neighborhood that's like eight giant houses, like eight mm-hmm. eight essentially they would look like his houses all in like one kind of like not gated but like courtyarded off neighborhood. Yeah. Um, right by the I think it's right by the mosque over there. Um, yeah. but yeah, that's, that's where it has to be for me. Like it, it has to be. And like, I wouldn't be surprised if they shot it at a house in the North Bay even or something. Yeah. Um, but obviously they don't show him taking the bridge, you know, on his commute. So he's supposed to be in, in the city proper, but yeah. yeah, in the Presidio area. And I think a lot of people don't necessarily know the Presidio as much if they don't, you know, if they're not from around this area, um, there is like quite a bit of of nature just kind of like tucked into the northern part of the city there. And this movie does kind of take advantage of that. Like it's set in San Francisco, but every time he gets home, I mean, he kind of looks like he's just in the middle of a bunch of trees. You know, it's it, yeah. it's a cool effect. And you yeah, have the know, water it... right there. And I think the water is a huge part of San Francisco as well. Like you are surrounded by water. I think there's something almost kind of like, you know claustrophobic about that or something in some of these movies yeah no i i think that that is a hundred percent uh the case and i think it being kind of a little bit more of that unknown quantity like we had we had talked about there's like still this element of like a little bit of like blind romance to it even for people that live there you know Mm -hmm. like i feel like i feel like new york almost gets ruined because it's such a known quantity people like see where they're like ah they're at the corner of this and this like they're not fucking there you know like i've I lived in San Francisco. You lived in San Francisco. Like, I couldn't tell you where these are shot. And especially because yeah. it's so different now than it was when they shot it back then, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's very it's very different. But I think, yeah, it's it's an interesting setting. And I think it's almost made all the more interesting by, like, the content, context of, like, who this main character is and, like, what we're talking about specifically in this movie of, like, him being, you know, an investment banker, yeah, that lives in San Francisco, right? Very important, making deals. Like, yes, that is a person. Now, that's just, he's just a tech, like he's just tech CEO, right? Like this movie still works in the context of like modern, of like this modern world where yeah. he's just he'd a be tech a VC CEO. guy, probably. Yeah, right? he'd be a VC yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, it it definitely works, and I think there are these types of people all over the place. You know, these people who. And and we always joke about that, you know, if you go through um, um, Pack Heights or something like that, uh, you know, really, really nice neighborhood. Actually, a lot of movies have been shot kind of around Pack Heights um, in 
in San Francisco and you go through and you see all these homes, you know, these huge, beautiful homes. And you see like these small condos that go for like three million in San Francisco. Like it's no secret that the housing market here is insane. And then you see the huge mansions and you're just like, who can afford that? And you kind of can only imagine somebody like Mark Zuckerberg. But there's a million people, too, that are just like. Nicholas Van Orton in this movie that you've never Nobody heard knows. of, that not many people yeah. have ever heard of, and they're attached to to some bank or whatever, and you know they have forty million dollars in the bank account, and it's just very bizarre oh, to no. think of that. But they're more. very anonymous. Uh, more, of course, plenty yeah, with, no. with way more. Yeah, um, it's like you know it's crazy, but it, yeah, it's same, and same kind of thing too. Like we don't nobody. I think like especially at this day and age, nobody thinks of like old money San Francisco. That's like a very different type of person, right? The person who's, whose dad was, you know, like old when tech hit and was like mm-hmm. in investment banking when the tech boom hit. And like they were filthy rich before anything. And but they're like West Coast. Filthy. It's it's just strange. It's like there's there's something that's so dynamic that I find really attractive about a movie set in San Francisco about this type of character because it's such a known and unknown quantity. Like at the same time, like it feels so yeah. familiar. I can point, I can like grasp this character, but also like I know those people exist, but I don't know much about them. And I think that's kind of the point of the story of this. Absolutely, and like investment banking is such like a a, a, a northeast type of job, you know, at least in in maybe popular culture and stuff. It's a little bit more of like a fish out of water type element in San Francisco, and it just adds again to like the alienation that this guy seems to have from the world. He seems to have cut himself off and he definitely seems like a a selfish person and somebody who, you know, is very prickly. Like obviously we see some interactions at least over the phone with his ex-wife and stuff. Um, And you can tell that he's not the nicest guy, but he's also not like the devil or anything like that, you know, but he, he is very much disconnected from um the rest of the world and i feel like that that's what kind of makes this this movie but i i don't know i'm just happy to see san francisco i mean david fincher obviously is a huge we haven't even mentioned zodiac zodiac is maybe one of the best san francisco movies um and and definitely takes the most care to uh i mean recreating the port and and the you know um uh the pyramid and everything you know, were whatever, $50 million of that budget. So he obviously has respect for the history of San Francisco. Yeah, it's it's cool. No, it's really cool. And I think, uh, obviously, <clears throat> the Bay Area, hugely influential, like, in the history of filmmaking, right? With, mm-hmm. um, you know, with George Lucas and, yes. and Coppola. And yes. and it kind, kind of is a very underrated, underrated, like, part of film history, I, I think. You know, everyone yeah. thinks Hollywood and, like, these amazing films that are being made from these people that, you know, were Bay Area based, um, you know, I mean, Lucas kind of, still has his operations in the Presidio, yeah, and you Coppola, know, and across the East Bay and stuff yeah. and Coppola and, you and know, Pixar Disney, there's is, some animation. Yeah. Pixar. Yeah. Pixar, Pixar was in Emeryville. Like there's, yep. you know, there's just some amazing, uh, history of that. And like, it feels like for how much history there is that it's underserved as a film location. And I think it could be for a lot of reasons. Like I know it's expensive to shoot in California. I'm sure it's doubly expensive to shoot in the city of San Francisco with all its specific like labor laws and stuff like that. But, um, but again, that's also why they don't make movies like this anymore. Right. This movie costs $70 million and it's like not a, I mean, it looks amazing, but it's not like, 
some huge crazy action packed movie or something where there's like a ton of stunts you know it's it's clearly expensive to to have famous people walk around san francisco shoot a movie yeah speaking of famous people let's talk about michael douglas man what let's a fucking it. like is this his best performance ever actually mm. like this I is don't, it's no. got to be in the top three for me really wow let me see. I'm, I got to pull up the IMDb now, but like I, I like he kind of makes this movie go. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, movie, it's a it's a Michael Douglas picture for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know. There's something about it. Like there he it does not. Maybe that's what I was getting at earlier when like it doesn't like necessarily feel like like quite like all the other Finchers. Yeah. You know, it feels like a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'd put this up there. I mean, obviously, we're t- we're talking the erotic thrillers, right? We're talking like Fatal Attraction. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I put Basic Instinct up there with like. You think it's you think up there? I mean, what else? Like I, Last I put Vegas. it up there. I love Last Vegas, love Ant-Man Basic and the Wasp. So much. Um, yeah, are... yeah, Ant-Man for sure. Um, Wall Street is one of his best. Yeah, of course. Um, Falling Down's a good one. Traffic, right? The Soderbergh movie. He's really mm-hmm. good in. I mean, this is definitely up there, and this is like. His zone. He is so good at being this guy. What I like about the way he is in this movie, and I think like what he taps into that's so different than a lot of his other things is like he's great at being this guy, but he's all he's great at being this like you know important asshole. He's that mm-hmm. in Wall Street. He's that in you know a lot of things. But what this combines is that basic instinct, like scum, like slimy kind of like loner yeah. thing yeah. about him, and that's what I really like. He does that really well but i think it's like less utilized and so maybe that's why i'm like latching onto this and again it's definitely recency bias but i I really think this is up there no you're right and i think this is a fantastic performance i mean i think i said this maybe on the basic instinct pod but like on any given day i might say michael douglas is my favorite actor of all time like i really really love michael douglas and i think part of it is he simultaneously brings so much baggage i feel like to every role and you have a, a preconceived perception of him and he quite op- often is not a very nice person even if he's not like outwardly terrible um he is often very dismissive and and can seem kind of um um sometimes pretentious sometimes just purely like prickly but i feel like you're always kind of with him you know he he's somebody who even when he is kind of at his worst you still want to root for him in a way and obviously i think a part of that is like him being an incredibly good looking person right i think like we we all kind of give a bias to really good looking people um but there's just something about him in which he and he and he's like just um how do i how do i say it without uh like insulting michael douglas he's like just fragile enough that you kind of can still feel bad for him a little bit. Like, it seems like he's overcompensating sometimes. 100%. I think you've tapped into something there. Like, that all his characters, like, breaks and all their, like, all the shit he's going through, like, it it feels believable. Like, he's just kind of always on the edge, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, and he, yeah. I don't know, there's something about him. He's just, yeah, he's so automatic. And, like, yeah, I don't. I don't know who we have. Like, we just don't have this kind of actor anymore. Like floating Not around. Like Not doesn't at exist. all, right? No. Like, there's like, just nobody that that does that. And like, like I feel like the people that would have would do this, like 
have like gotten thrown into Marvel movies as like, you know, eighth superhero in like a Marvel movie who could be like typecast as this kind of person. Um, yeah, it's like um, and he, he's a very interesting case, too, because he oh, he see he got into it when he was already older, you know, so it's hard to think about somebody being younger like somebody who i feel like might say that they watch michael douglas movies and really like his style maybe is somebody like um chris evans right like he's Mm -hmm. too young but he seems like he's sort of tried to lean into that like i'm an asshole but come on come on the ride with me and he, he puts maybe a little bit too much mustard on it to i and i'm not saying he's anywhere near michael douglas but i'm trying to think of people yeah. who try to put on the same effect yeah it's it's funny like i feel like there are people that can do this well but then they're like a little bit more not to say michael douglas isn't well-rounded but like they're a little bit like more well utilized like oh you know utilized mm-hmm. in a more well-rounded way like i feel like adam driver's kind of kind of got this in the bag a little mm. bit but it's not used as often yeah um, you know obviously it, now he's it can be shoot, he, he's, he's like got a shooting. little bit more of like a straight back you know he's yeah, really yeah. but i mean that's an interesting that's what I'm saying. If they just don't ex- to think about what about like Ethan Hawke maybe a little bit. He's a, he's a little but, bit too sweet. But again, yeah, but again, Ethan Hawke is like kind of like not that much younger. But he's kind of, yeah, just in the generation like barely behind. He's not like, you know, coming into that mode. This this might be like one of the most dramatic takes of all time. But I feel like people like there aren't actors making movies just cuz like they have fun making movies anymore. I feel like it's like either people doing it as like this over dramatized creative expression, which is awesome. Like I'm, you know, I'm a man of the arts myself. Love that. And then there are people that are doing it like clearly for the paycheck and like on the Marvel roller coaster. But I just don't feel like there's anybody kind of just doing this. And maybe it's a byproduct of like not enough budget for the like for people to just have fun making movies like of this kind. Like, but it feels like the like Douglas is just like, yeah, I would love to show up. And I would love to wear a suit and be an asshole and yell at some people like that sounds really fun. And he produces a lot of his movies. Right. So he clearly is making very um, specific choices about what he's taking, the persona that he's putting out there, the types of projects that he is well suited to. You know, these are not random hat throws. But I think, you know, uh, I, I really do think people would do that, but they don't there aren't that many movies made, especially for theatrical release, just about people, right? Like it's, there's always got to be a thing, um, whether mm. it's a superhero or something, but there's just like, when we talk about middle of the line, adult dramas or adult thrillers, that's this exact type of movie and this exact type of character that just does not happen as much anymore. That's why even a movie like Knives Out, I feel like we all freaked out over so much because it's like, Michael Shannon just playing a weirdo, you know, like this is great, but in like a normal ish movie, like he's not playing a weirdo who, you know, goes into a phone booth and comes out in a tight suit, you know, like he's just a guy who gets like, yeah, they just don't make and they and they just don't like and again, here's the other thing is they don't make them like set in relative modern times anymore. You know, like what's the mid budget straight a straight a drama it's like bike riders is coming out, right? I guess that's, but it's a yeah. period. It's a and I period love that. piece. Or the holdovers, you know, yeah. is another period piece. Like, hundred percent, great example. And unless you're gonna make it, like, I don't exactly know the budgets of those movies. They seem relatively small, but I think part of that too is now every movie has to be a huge hit, right? Like this Dude. movie 
you know who billion dollar budget and it made 109 so like the studio's probably like it didn't that's not great like with marketing it probably just about cut even but like that didn't like ruin fincher's career nowadays it's like oh back to the trash bin you go you know mr fincher you know who was our heir apparent i mean not like i think like I said he's heir apparent to a lot of people, but like the person who who had this in the bag to put on this kind of Michael Douglas persona and make these kinds of movies that and again, it's maybe it's a bit of a a, just like a pull because he was in a movie with him. But Shia LaBeouf had this. Mm. I I, yeah, I could I could I could see it. I mean, he definitely had the all around acting skill there for for some time. I feel like he had like the he's had the edge, though, like he's got he had the edge that like you could you could do that. And like, I know like he kind of showed like he was in transformers and he was definitely shooting bigger than like a Michael Douglas career, like before everything hit the fan for him. But just as far as like that person that would be able to have that kind of edge. So he also just came in so young. Yeah. 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 It's hard to know. Um, Anybody else like acting wise you want to talk about from this movie? I think like there's a lot of like, I don't know what to make character actor hall of fame. I know. I just don't know what to make of the fact that Sean Penn is in this. Oh, so let's talk about our guy, Sean Penn. I mean, now we can maybe even start. I love we're like 30 minutes in, haven't even talked about the movie, but this is my favorite type of pod. Um, Let's talk about the first scene at lunch between those two guys, because I fucking love Sean Penn in this movie. Yeah, he's so um, he's like got so much exuberance, you know, he's like he's plays the little brother so perfectly. Yeah. And like. He's only in basically three scenes, but you'd swear he's in half the movie because when you finish yeah. it, all you like you're thinking about him so much. But I mean, like in that opening scene, how quickly you know exactly who this guy is because of the way he's sitting, he smokes. Yeah. I, I love that line, like, um, um, you know, I used to buy crystal meth off the major <laughs> major G. Like that's, yeah. that stuff is so good. Dude, he's just like it's just such a perfect settle you settle you in scene. Cause that's really kind of our first scene of like two people were really interacting right before. It's just a lot of Michael Douglas on the phone. It's, you know, yeah. it's like, it's like him he cross- and Elsa. Yeah. Him circling things and redlining contracts. And then it's like, here's him with his brother. Like, here's his first, like you get it. One yeah. interaction of him with his, um, his receptionist is to basically be like this great dude's a scene fucking, yeah great i love scene. when she's listing off he's like send him a card <laughs> yeah yeah and he's like the wedding and he goes tuxedo this no and then she goes i'll send your regrets <laughs> like, yeah <laughs> i don't know why i even bother and again that's the kind of scene they don't fucking do that anymore and it's so yeah. over the top like i don't even know why i bother you know like yeah. the the tones of that and but it's just it's so good it's so chewy yeah. um so yeah, and we get fucking, and we get Sean Penn, and then he like pops up like almost not enough, like he's like underutilized not in like enough. a really, in, in a really like good way. Like they don't abuse the fact that he's in this movie, which I think is fascinating. It's such yeah. a, ch- such a choice. Yeah. Um, it's very restrained, and I feel like it ends up being the right choice because he is doing a lot, and you actually, it's pretty cool at the end of the movie because you realize in that first scene of them together at the restaurant. He he's acting for his brother in a way. I mean, that is who he is. It's believable enough for his brother to not like have any alarms tripped. But him so casually being like, yeah, I got you this game. And so like he the whole thing is an act to to make sure his brother is, you know, thinks this is as normal as it could possibly be for these yeah. two brothers who clearly have like a very tumultuous, you know, yeah. um, 
past relationship to uh to be a, over one lunch. Anybody else you want to talk about? I mean, I think Jay, James Rebhorn. Oh. Uh, you know, just automatic. What Rebhorn about Rebhorn is amazing. Peter Donat Donat, I believe, the guy yeah, who plays Donat. Samuel Sutherland, he's from The Godfather 2. He's great. Yeah. What do you think about um, uh Deborah is it Kara Unger? Yeah, Deborah Kara Unger. Um I I think she's great. I actually think she is she's really good in in Crash. Yes, Crash yeah. is what she's in. She's great in that. Um I think she's perfect for this movie because she fits in so she's well. She's got this like matrixy thing about her. Like whenever yes. she like switches off you know, and then you kind of like, I mean, yeah, you just get the vibe that she's like, she just runs the show. Like she, yeah. She and she's not the- like overpowering to the movie. Like if this was Sharon Stone, let's say, you know, it would yeah. just be too much, I think, because this person does have to, I mean, her whole job is being like her Other whole people. job in this movie is being a character that fits into the world of San Francisco, right? Like that fits in as a waitress and, yeah. um, I think she she does a a really good job. I like their early interactions. I love that first meal when you know she she pours the the wine on him and the whole like uh you know this guy offered me twenty dollars or a hundred dollars to pour yeah. wine on you and she said the handsome guy like that stuff was really good but it's not like overdoing it. No, for sure. I think um yeah I didn't yeah it's definitely it's definitely very like they do a good job of like populating this with, with some good characters, but nobody that, like you said, overpowers or you like really feel like is going fully toe to toe with Michael Douglas. Like Michael Douglas right. just gets to kind of cook. Um, and absolutely. Yeah. Red Horn's the only um, one who I actually think like legitimately blows him <laughs> off the screen for, for a few minutes when he just dude, has the fucking so good food. at the zoo at the zoo. Yeah. That's what he, yes. Yeah, <laughs> insane he's so, so good. good i love that opening one where he's just like do you mind if i eat lunch he's like do you want some it's like how do you share just one carton of like chow mein i also just love uh, i also love that he's um I, I love like at the end scene when like everything gets revealed at the party and he's like thank god you jumped because i was the one that was gonna have to push you you I know i was gonna have to push you just, just pat him on the back so yeah yeah so good so, he, so classic he's, uh he's outstanding what are some what are some favorite moments? Um, yeah, from this talk one for about you. this movie. Um, well, we talked about some early on. Um, I guess going front to back, I really love the the moment with the clown, and we haven't really talked about it as much. But like this movie is you know very much um, uh, kind of littered with the kind of running motif of Michael Douglas's dad and his, his, you know, death when Michael Douglas is, or Nicholas Van Orden was a, a young boy and stuff. Um, and when he finds that clown in the driveway first, it's shot so cool by Fincher with him, like almost like peeking from behind the car as he goes over to check it out. And the whole scene with the clown inside the house and the, the news broadcaster talking directly to Nick Van Orden, I feel like is like such a cool moment. Oh, dude, so iconic. And yeah. him, like, walking around the room trying to figure out where the camera is. And, like, of course, Colder. at that point, like, the audience is like, it's in the clown. And yeah, colder. Yes. Uh, Yeah, I, I love I, – I think one of my favorite moments that's even before that is when he's at the city club after he's filled out the application and everything. Yeah. And there's the the two, like, new members yes. that are talking about – 
Oh yes. no, I did it in the London office, and you know, and yeah. it's like they're just like you know, it's like so perfect, and yeah, you just know, like from the first time you watch it, you're like, oh, these are plants, and you oh, know, yeah. he's just getting got, he's getting got right now, but it's just also this perfect, like, yeah, that's how that's how people are, and that's how rich people. Are. It's just he's yeah. like kind of was skeptical of it, and then these like two rich dudes at the you know, at his city club were like, oh, it was life changing, you know, it was the greatest it, thing ever, and he just yeah. overhears it. And then he's like, got to do it. I've got to have it. And he's like, why not trust these guys? Like he has no one he's close to in his life to run it by them and be like, hey, do you think this is a good idea? Like, what do you think? It's just like, these are the two closest guys I can come to to give me like an honest assessment here. I know. I love that. Um, I'm trying to think of other. I mean, I, I love, love the graffiti house. Oh, so I think that's probably like cool. the, that's like the what I think that's probably the pinnacle of the movie yeah right like that's when shit like it's turned up to 11 like there's yeah. no more real life after that it's all the game like yeah. from and on and i think that's like such a cool cool it's awesome it's yeah. so unnerving like i will that scene is like the first time that i watched it was legitimately scary yeah like it just thinking of coming home to that would be horrifying yeah it's like a, inside of a disney ride you know like yeah a fucking horrifying disney ride that's what it yeah. that's what it's like and i think um yeah, they set the stage for that really well. And then I love, I love like when he, uh, when they come like back or like then like it ends with Sean Penn, you know, mm-hmm. being like freaking out and like that whole, that whole thing that happens in the middle and it's like, mm-hmm. they got me for more, they got me for more. It's just, uh, Dude, the yeah. keys. It just turns up the heat. It just turns up the heat. Yeah. Like, and like when know. he, his face, when he like sees the keys again, sells it just immaculately. Yeah, and I guess like the that is like the the like holes you could poke at this movie, right? Are are like the brother's really that good of an actor? Yeah, like is he really you know surviving a you know a skyscraper jump? You know, I mean, we can. I think after favorite scenes, just... we can just talk about that whole because that's part of the fun of the movie, and it it's funny that Fincher made this movie because of how imperfect the script is, like immediately you can just start being like they literally have almost the entire city on the payroll like they know exactly where this guy's gonna go and who he's gonna interact with like it's it must be a what i mean how much do you think the game cost to put on so that's like they 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 make the million dollars that's what what? said they make the reference when he's like do you want to split it and then he shows him the bill i think it's got to be yeah i think it's got to be in the range of like 30 to 50 million like (laughs) Because what's going to make a guy that's got 600 million in the bank? Because that's what we know he has. Like, that gets referenced. Mm-hmm. What's going to make him go, oh my God? You know, yeah. like, but like, even like, they wa- he walks through that cafeteria and it's every person you've seen in the movie. Every like, person. Yeah. Like, every vendor he's interacted with. Everybody. Every person on the street. You know, it's yeah. just like, <laughs> it's crazy. Um, and like, it, it, that's the fun, though, of like, if this movie's so much more cool because it is just like a hired on game. Like this movie to me is so much less interesting if it ends with like, no, actually this was like, this was a con. Like these people yeah. are stealing your money. We are like an international agency that just like, we go around and we just like, because then it's like, it's a bit, you know, it's a bit the matrix. It's a bit yeah. like, you know, mysterious. It, and the fact that it's just like, no, this is actually like, we put this on so you could like recapture the meaning of life you know mm-hmm. like so that you could like get get out of your rut it's like altruistic too yeah, yeah. 
it, and it, it almost it, makes you wonder if like the guy in the beginning, like, you know, the dudes in the beginning, like, were they plants, right? Or was that mm. guy, did he actually go like have his game? You know, and the people at the end are like, this was the best one ever, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, that's true. I mean, I, I'm trying to think back to all the moments, you know, because in watching the movie, you can get lost in it a bit. But like another, I think, pretty good scene is like when he goes to Deborah Kerr Unger's house and he's really at the height of his just like, what is going on? Like he he doesn't know who to trust. And then all the squibs, you know, obviously he thinks he's being shot at, but it's all the squibs just going off in her apartment. Yeah. Um, I, it's just really it's almost kind of funny to like to think of because from the very beginning, they basically the movie says what it is like maybe we can even talk about whether it's like a true twist or not because the movie is like this is a game the whole thing is a game and then the whole movie is just the game and it's yeah it's pretty funny how it ends up playing out yeah it's what what's amazing about it is the fact that he does that and he's get but he gets you to buy in to this like no there's layers yeah but there isn't right because i think it's it's because they like don't ever specify like what the fuck the game is Right. Like, you know, it's just like, hey, we're going to play a game. We're going to tailor this to you. Yeah, it's going to be really fun. You know, you you know, we've never had a dissatisfied customer. Yeah. And yes. So you're just kind of like the whole time, like when they start the game, you're like, ah, they're going to fuck with him. Like, ah, they're going to, you know, like, oh, your your application was rejected. And then Mm -hmm. immediately the game starts. You know, it's like, oh, they're just going to try to take this guy down from his like, you know, throne of power. Right. But. Then they just take it like a step further. I think the biggest thing for me, for me, is like at the end when Sean Penn's like, "Happy birthday, Nikki." It's like I love that we're just like banking on the fact that he's just gonna be like ex- accepting and like emotionally break down. Like as if this dude wouldn't have just incredible amounts of PTSD and like dude. paranoia at that point, he wouldn't be like, "No, you're fake," and like <laughs> try to like rip off his brother's face. You know, <laughs> dude, how would he not? This man literally tried to. End his own life in this exact same way that his dad did. That he's like clearly been haunting him for the last like thirty five years of his life, and uh, and then it's like five seconds later they're just like surprise. <laughs> <That's> just <a laughs> like party. this year, I literally thought he was going to the afterlife. Like, <laughs> so what do you think about the ending? With I, I think like this is like something that like as like, like research. Are, which ending are you talking? Are you talking Deborah about when he go when he yeah, goes d- to CRS or at the very very end when very, he walks very outside? End. And, very very okay. End. It, so it's interesting. That's what I wanted to ask about because like I think it very much depends on your take on uh, um, Nicholas and um, Christine's like relationship because to me honestly like going all the way back to the beginning when she has to get changed and stuff because she had the dirty shirt on, like, it never really felt romantic. Like, yeah, it was actually kind of almost cool in a way that in a movie like this that's such, like, a, um, you know, cat and mouse, like, thriller, like, it seems, like, automatic that they would just, like, hook up. But it kind of doesn't seem that romantic. I don't know. The ending itself is is a little bit confusing to me. Yeah, it is so – it's so weird. And so there's actually – there's an alternative ending that was, like, on the DVD release that they, like – there's an alternative ending that they put in there that I think is actually, like, just a way better – like, it's a bit more like, well, whoopsie-doo. Uh, but the <laughs> ending is he walks out, you know, uh-huh. looking – basically, like, looking for her. Mm-hmm. And then, like, he, like, kind of looks around, doesn't see her. And then, like, one of the hotel attendants goes, sir, can I call you a cab? And he turns around and he goes, no, I'm good. 
And then he like walk mm. like starts like walking home, right? Like I'm not gonna like it, it's like, and I think that's kind of like a you know what I might just walk home, like I yeah. Think. And I I think the way they end it <coughs> is just so much more like, wait, was this like you said, was this a romance? Like, wait, does she actually like him? I thought she like this whole thing like she's basically confirming I've been doing this for way too long. Even like her little weird like, where are you from? Oh, I'm from Nebraska. Colorado? Oh, I don't remember. You know, it's like yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it it's it, it's a bit clumsy. I, it's a bit clumsy, especially because you're still reeling from you know really thinking your way through the kind of false ending that you get right before that because it kind of seems like the movie could sort of end just at the party, right? Like you you almost yeah. don't even necessarily need a resolution between them. And I do think it's like you know. A sweet moment like it just feels like it's maybe a part of a bit of a different movie in a way but I don't know maybe it's just I, I'd love to know obviously Fincher didn't write this movie it was written by guys named John Brancato and Michael Ferris um who let's see what else they wrote Terminator yeah, 3 just, Rise of the Machines Terminator Salvation there's and just the so Hunter's much prayer I think the thing is like there's just so much like it feels like too like squeaky clean of an ending for how convoluted everything up to that climactic point is. Like legitimately, like he gets him on the roof, he's holding with a gun, right? And they do like they have to do like the triple head fake, right? It's like mm-hmm. no, no, it's all the game. This is right. Yeah. We're walking. They're they're walking up with champagne, and then like oh, he accidentally shot his brother. Like as if so. Like what happens if they didn't know? Like if he if he like concedes at that point, oh, it was the game. Like, do they just walk down to the party, or does he still get thrown off the fucking roof? Like, what yeah. happened? Like, I, that's what I'm saying. I don't get it. Like, is the roof just like the safety net in case he like fake shoots somebody? Like, did she also have, did she also have like fake blood, you know, everywhere on her body in case? Yeah. You know, like. <laughs> I mean, I think that gets to sort of at yeah, like that suspended. point, like yeah. by them showing you. Like you said, the guys who are basically like working the hot dog stand are also employed by CRS. It's sort of like we've gotten to the point where clearly they just think of it all. Like it's like we just have to accept because I'm with you. The first time that I watched it, I was just like, what if you just went to a different part of the roof? (laughs) Like (laughs) like it would be be very possible. And I love, you know, they do sort of. What if he just misses the bag? He jumped from like a thousand feet in the air, you know? (laughs) Like, what if he just, like, crashes yeah. through that whole thing and he doesn't land on the bag? Like, yeah. Yeah. Wow. It, uh, the possibilities are endless. But then at that point, you know, it's like, suspended. I don't know. It, it kind of felt like Fincher was drawn to the movie for different reasons. And obviously, if you're going to get Michael Douglas and stuff, people are in on this movie. Um but it seems like it was more the early stuff and kind of the middle part, like the real tense moments that he was really drawn to and was sort of like, well, this is just kind of how we have to end it because it was a game and, you know, we need to to figure out how to get there. But it, it, I, I feel like there maybe is a little bit of a reason why obviously there's not a ton of movie that needs to happen afterwards, but it's sort of like so get in and get out. Once I've also jump. seen this weird theory that like he actually does kill himself. And like him, like he actually does die. And then like him, like waking up in the party is like, like him in the afterlife. You know, that's his relief. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Where it's like it wasn't. Yeah. Mm. 
Uh, I mean, that's 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 interesting. It, it would be it's it's kind of a bummer that in his version of heaven or something, he can't even get the girl, know, can't uh, even keep the girl in town. Yeah. <laughs> Tough. Um, he needs but, to work on himself. Yeah, he needs. <laughs> that's right. That's the truth. You know, the real game is the friends that we made along the way. Um, yeah. <laughs> I will say before we move on, I and I want to talk briefly about Fincher before we wrap it up. But let me tell you, I think one of my subtle favorite parts of this movie is all of the different CRS acronyms. You know, for all the different like agencies that they yes. have, like you know, like when they pull up in the, it's like CRS cable rerouting systems, or like yes. you know, like it's just a bunch of random stuff. Like, I love that. I love that, that about that. Is a clever little piece, and that does feel like a. I mean, that is kind of like the puzzly, fe- yeah. or like the the puzzle type feel to the movie. I I do really like that too. Good little joke. Uh, let's talk about let's talk about David Fincher. Um, yeah. So, who's his generation of filmmakers? Is it Tarantino, him, PTA? Is that kind of the big yeah. three from that gen? Wes. And Wes, I guess Wes yeah. is that Wes generation. Wes, Fincher, yeah. PTA, Linklater, Soderbergh, yeah. I think would put... Yeah. Soderbergh maybe a bit earlier. He started in the 80s, but like... So where, really up where, is, where, is, where do you toss him in that group? It's kind yeah, of, I mean, that's a kind of a heavy hitters group. Man. Heavy hitters, like, man. Almost, I, there's almost more of them than there are in like that, in that, you know, earlier period. There's almost yeah. more of those kind of like, I don't know if you could put, like, I think Soderbergh's incredible, but, but I, is he an like auteuristic director the way these other, these others are? Um, that's a good question. I mean, I, I think, you know, it's funny. It's like Fincher doesn't really write his movies um so i guess but he obviously has a very singular style i think soderbergh just gets to go in there because um especially his early work was so soder-y you know um but you're right i mean he he maybe isn't quite the like 100 percent all levels craftsman that some of these other guys you know we kind of give them the credit for being Um, i would say though that like honestly if you're gonna make like a it's probably like him and soderbergh are actually probably really good comps because they don't write all their stuff yeah you know i think that's probably a better comp than like you can't really compare like tarantino and pta yeah you know to that right like it's a little bit harder because they're so it's such much more of that like writing directing singular vision yeah Um, thing and yeah and and it is a little bit different thing that he's doing right like he's really known for that precision i I mean if we're talking about what like soderbergh or i mean fincher is very famous for it's like just being so precise and obviously you know we we've all heard the stories about the you know million takes and all that stuff but even that aside it's like the frame is exactly exactly how he wants it. And if it's not, then he's he's gonna do it again, or he's gonna try something else, or he's gonna cut a scene. Um, and I don't know. I, I really respond to that, but he also does it with very poppy entertainment. You know, like the girl with the dragon tattoo. Everyone read that book, so it's funny that he takes stuff like that or Gone Girl. So I mean, even book. even Social Network. And Social Network, hugely popular story, right? Like, at the top of everyone's minds. But he applies his, like, very singular style to it. Um, And I don't know. It's amazing. I mean, I think what he did, obviously, this movie is shot on film, but he was one of the early pioneers of, like, beautiful digital cinematography um, and uh, and, um, just, like, picture making. And 
I don't know. He he's brought that. It's very hard. I mean, obviously, I'm dancing around ranking these guys because it's extremely hard to do that. Uh, Sophia Coppola would be in that group as well. Um, I always view I always view her as younger for whatever reason. I don't know why. Well, she started so young. I mean, when she was making movies, you know, uh, I guess she was a little bit more like early two thousands. Um, but she was very yeah, but I, she started. Yeah. I mean, I guess like maybe Tarantino is the outlier there, right? Maybe Tarantino, we shouldn't necessarily loop in with, but it's funny. Tarantino himself loops himself in with Fincher. Like what I mean, when, he and PTA and Fincher, I feel like really did start they were like, like right around yeah, the same time. One, one, yeah. They were like one, the one, one, one Soderbergh yeah. slightly earlier. And then, and then you could argue that like, I guess Aunt Wes and Sophia were a little bit later because yeah. Wes doesn't make bottle rock until what? 98. 98 no. yeah and then he doesn't really like arrive on scene until tenenbaum or i mean i guess rushmore which was what 99 99 10, 2000 is maybe yeah but anyway yeah. right so it's like it's a it's interesting oh, it's like no, there's rushmore, almost like you're right is 99 i think there's just these bottle rock yeah, 97 maybe yeah, yeah there you go there's just these interesting like kind of um I don't know. They're like almost like micro generations of directors, but I think Fincher's like right up there. And I think he's just got such a like interesting, like again, over, overplayed over mentioned, but he's just his acid dipped, uh, feeling. That's why I yeah. love, that's why I really liked Mank. Cause like, mm-hmm. I like, he does different stuff. Like I even really like Benjamin Button, you know, like, yeah, me like, too. When, I like when Button. he, when he has this level of like, there is, there is like a little bit of sincerity and like some of the stuff that he does, it's, he's like dangerous. Because yeah. you're so used to it that he like when he does show a little bit of sincerity, it's like it's so poignant. Um, I don't know. He he's he's fascinating. I never really think about him as being like my favorite director. You know, like yeah, I've never right. I don't think I've ever once been like, Oh, Dave Fisher's my favorite director. But man, you'd be hard pressed to find a filmography that like I enjoy front yeah. to back more. Agreed. You know, and I think that's kind of it's just an interesting thing. Like all his movies are so endlessly watchable. And I guess that's what you're talking about with this like pop-up. You know, who he is, he's fucking, he's like nine inch nails. And I know that's like a, but like incredibly like popular, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, very, you know, very much like of a particular kind of like heavy genre, but like still making music that's like, like accessible enough where people who aren't like, you know, into heavier stuff still will listen. It's, it's, yeah, it's strange. That's a great example because, like, the music itself is heavier, but, like, Nine Inch Nails lyrics aren't always, you know. Yeah. They're often, like, kind of down the line maybe a little bit. And his movies are kind of similar where it's, like, they all have this – I mean, Acid Dipped is a great way to put it. They all have, like, this razor that's sitting right at the edge of the frame. Um, but at the same time, like, the stories are, are you know, they're, they're – popular fiction you know it's like they're they're a woman goes missing you know or we're yeah. after a serial killer like those movies have been made before you know like and i think that's probably where you're some of the differences between like you know obviously the uh fincher's never done are. a story fincher's never done the wes anderson you know story within the story within the story exactly like i have to create all these like machinations you know and i'm right. doing like like there's nothing like that you know i think like you know, Soderbergh's a great comp because of that. But like even Tarantino, like Tarantino, like he has such like specific, like rigid framework behind all of his stories, you know? Absolutely. And it feels like Fincher is just so much more fluid in the types of stories he's able to tell, but still doing that with a like, no doubt this is David Fincher directing this is right. fascinating. Is that's yeah. I think what makes what makes him so fascinating. 
Absolutely. He is definitely one of those filmmakers in which you turn on one of his movies and in five minutes you can tell what it is. And even now that basically every streaming TV show that's not a comedy tries to look exactly like a Fincher, it just doesn't quite get there. You know, like it doesn't quite get to to that level. Um, and I think that's that's very impressive. I mean, I, I talk a lot, you know, obviously film is something that we really love, but this, these, this guy's movies look absolutely incredible. I mean, obviously this movie looks unbelievable. It was still on film, but you look like Gone Girl. It's gorgeous movie yeah you know what he's like uh so i think there's a there's something to be said about like we now because digital is such like a more like an easier medium to work with and like a quicker medium to work with i think digital almost gets a bad rap because it is just associated with people who are almost like half-assing the visual like the visual craft of filmmaking Mm -hmm. right Whereas, like, I guarantee you, if PTA shot licorice pizza on digital, it would have looked fucking phenomenal, right? Like, mm-hmm. I guarantee you, if Nolan, you mm-hmm. know, shot Oppenheimer on digital, like, it would have looked great because he gives a shit about the way it looked. Like, that's a very mm-hmm. important piece of it. You know, I think it's almost like digital almost gets a bad rap. Like obviously we love like the softness that film gets like the color that film gives, but like you can recreate a lot of that digitally, but that like kind of like digital haze look is just from people that aren't taking the time to like grade their films properly. Yeah. You know, a hundred percent. So we're or given like, the opportunity. Yeah. And I think he's the, he's the, like the perfect example of that. Of like, you can make incredibly beautiful and rich looking digital films that still like look classic without yeah. you know without feeling ultra modern um 100 yeah but david fincher what a guy uh let's rank this bad boy or not rank uh rate let's rate yes. the game i want to give it a letter grade evan yeah um i will go a hmm. i love this movie it's great i i highly recommend this movie i think that there are it's very possible that there are a good amount of people listening to this podcast, you know, seen it. that have never seen this movie or maybe haven't seen it in eight or nine years, sort of like what you were describing. And and, you know, maybe haven't even thought about it for a bit. Highly recommend literally millions, literally millions really, of people listening to this podcast that probably haven't seen it. I, I, yeah. Out of the millions, I'm sure there's a few dozen that uh, need to revisit. <laughs> no, I, man, I'm so torn. I think for me, it's like A minus B plus. Like, mm-hmm. it's definitely not like perfect, but God, mm-hmm. it's fucking good. And it's got me, it, it like captured me. And I almost, <laughs> again, it's like almost a victim of like when it was made. Uh, because like you just stack it up next. Yeah, I think it's a B in, of 97 movies. If that mm-hmm. came out today, I'd be, I'd probably be like, this is the greatest movie, like best picture yes. nominee, you know? Yes. <laughs> and so, yeah, absolutely. Hey, hey. I think it's an A. It's a great movie. It's so there fun. You go. It is. So fun. I mean, it, it's endlessly rewatchable. I really think it is. And and it's two hours and nine minutes. I feel like the time goes by, even though it's not, you know, flying scene to scene. And there's only a couple times where there's like true, true distress. Um, but yeah, really good movie. And Michael Douglas is not disappoint. He does end up in a room filled with with porn and cocaine in this movie. So uh, if that's who you come to his pictures for, you'll you'll find it in this one. It feels like it's almost like a part of his contract. It's like if it, he has to, you know, 
Um, his writer. Yeah, yeah, his writer's yeah. porn. He's like, I don't even care if you cut the scene, but we're going to shoot a scene of me panicking in a hotel room. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, uh, all right. Well, thank you guys, as always, for listening. If you haven't already, follow us on Twitter at Flick and Scream, on Instagram at Flicking and Screaming. Join the conversation at FlickingAndScreaming.com, where you can read blogs, uh, get updates, see some rankings, uh, also some suggestions of stuff that we like over there if you're looking for things to watch. Mm-hmm. Parting thoughts? Parting thoughts. Um, we like Michael Douglas. We also like Howard Shore a lot, who did the music for this movie. We didn't talk about him very much. Love Howard Shore. I highly recommend checking out the game soundtrack, and I'll leave it at that. Or or score, maybe original score, not soundtrack. But They'll make him like they do, and Shore is the fucking goat. The goat. Goat. All right. Flicking Screaming, Jed Sprague, Evagundis, JT Chipman is here with us in spirit. Good night, everybody. See ya.